Welcome back to Thirsty the Podcast. I'm Laura Coop. And I'm Heather McGee. Today we're talking about heartbreak, learning to trust again, and second marriages with Gabrielle Stone. Um, as a reminder, please share this with your community. Um, if you're resonating with the content, we would love it for you to share with your friends or others who could use the thirsty message. And as a reminder, rate, review, and follow us on socials. Hi, everyone. We are so excited to have you all here. This is our season four premiere. It's been a minute. We are so excited to be talking to you all again and, and, and spending this time with you. This season of Thirsty is all about being curious. We've actually connected all of the episodes um, under a theme that we are calling Fresh Eyes. We're exploring all kinds of different subjects. We're going to be talking about getting curious, challenging perspectives, and looking at the world with an open mind. Today, we are so thrilled to welcome our guest, Gabrielle Stone. She's an actress, writer, and director. Her award-winning films include It Happened Again Last Night and After. Emma. She's the author of two best-selling books, Eat, Pray, Hashtag FML, and The Ridiculous Misadventures of a Single Girl, as well as host of the podcast FML Talk. Beyond being ridiculously busy with everything I just listed, Gabrielle is someone I discovered in my favorite place, TikTok. Gabrielle, I think you have a story so many of our listeners can relate to, as you have been so open to share the story of your now ex-husband's infidelity and your journey of healing and growth. Being open and talking about the hard things is something that we really value on Thirsty, and Heather and I love that you operate in the same way. To start us off, Gabrielle, is there anything you'd like to add to introduce yourself? No, I think that's that, that just about covers all of the, the hats I've been wearing lately over the past couple of years, but I'm happy to be here. Thank you for having me. And we are so excited for you. I think after this uh, airs, you will uh, be a new mom pretty soon, so yeah, that's pretty exciting. I'm- I'm due this month. So we are in the final stretch of like, just waiting for this baby to pop out. <laughs> um, one of the things we really wanted to talk to you about today, um, you know, there's some really big subjects that you're able to cover with us. And one thing that you've talked about is that your now ex-husband's affair was a pretty big betrayal. So that was something pretty major that you dealt with. And there was a lot of lying in his, on his part over a long period of time. What kind of impact did that make on your ability to trust whenever you got into a relationship again? Yeah. So to give everybody just kind of an overview of my dealings and story with my marriage and the infidelity that that took place is I was married for almost two years, found out my husband was having an affair with a 19-year-old for six months, filed for divorce, left, and shortly after that met this guy who was a pretty well-known Hollywood actor fell madly in love with each other and had this whirlwind romance. And he convinced me to go on a month long trip to Italy with him. 48 hours before we were getting on the plane, he told me he needed to go by himself and broke up with me. And I was absolutely devastated, broke my heart like my ex-husband never could have done. And I was sitting on my bed at my mom's house because that's where you move when you're 28 and get divorced (laughs) with a bottle of wine in a pool of tears and was like, okay, well, I have a decision to make. 
I can either stay at home heartbroken or go travel Europe for a month by myself. So I took a backpack and I did six countries over the span of a month and I wrote the book Eat, Pray, FML. And looking back, to answer your question, my marriage, the the lying and the infidelity, I think when you go through any type of betrayal like that, you deal with not only being lied to and having to unpack all of that hurt and betrayal, but also not trusting yourself. You're like, how did I not see this? How were there no red flags? Like, how did I end up in a situation like this? And I know from how many readers and listeners have messaged me about it. It happens to so many of us. Um, it really, it's, it's more common than unfortunately I or anyone would like to admit. So it was a lot to unpack for me on different levels of it, you know, because the betrayal and the finding out how deep it all went and how long it was going on um, was a lot to kind of navigate going through for sure. Yeah, I had to, I went through a situation where with a fiance who I was with for four years and called off the wedding or two months before it was supposed to happen because I found out he'd been cheating on me the entire Mm. time with an 18 year old. (laughs) Why are we always 18 or 19? But I remember like I I was a TV producer for a long time. And so I thought it was a good read of read of people. And I I was, I couldn't, I was so mad at myself. Like, how did I not know? Now that I know it's so obvious, I think, I I don't know, it's hard not to blame yourself for those things and just feel like you're just an idiot for not seeing it. When the truth is, I think sometimes people are really good at lying and that's just kind of something. 100%. And looking back on it now, I'm like, oh, of course there were red flags. Of course there were things that I should have paid attention to, but I missed, but you're not, I would hope not. You're not walking through life going where are the things that would show me that this person's lying to me? You know, like, unless you're coming from a trauma background or a shitty relationship, you're not expecting people to cross you and do you wrong like that. So my ex-husband and I, when we were together, like I never even had an inkling to look at his phone for the first four years we were together. There was never any question. Like he was like the good guy that people were like, not him, you know? And it's actually dovetails so well into a listener question we have from Catherine, because Catherine wants to know, given your history, would you ever get into another relationship with someone who has admitted to past infidelity? Oh, that's an interesting question. Um, Not if it was someone, you know, who went through an experience like my ex-husband, like if someone was like, I was married, I cheated, this was the affair, like this was the reasons, probably not. I would probably steer clear of that. If it was someone that's like, yeah, I cheated on a person that I dated in high school or in college. And like, you know, I think that when we're younger, there are things that, that happen that we grow and learn from. So I don't necessarily think that would be a huge red flag, but if someone like had a full on experience with this, even if they had done the work um, around it. I think for me personally, that would be kind of like a non-negotiable, like why enter back into that wormhole? <laughs> yeah, I think you have to know yourself well enough to know if you're always going to be looking for a problem because of that past. Yeah. Or if you're in a place where you can have the right conversations and be tapped in and in tune with that other person in a way that's not just assuming the worst of them all the time. Totally. And if it's going to be a situation that mirrors one of your triggers, that's going to continuously keep you in a state of like wanting to look at their phone and like questioning where they're going and like 
feeling that like they're lying to you. Like that's not a healthy relationship for you to be in because of your past. Not worth it. Yeah. I, you know, I think too, like I would think about, cause I, I, it took me a long time to recover from, you know, what I went through with my fiance that I found I've been cheating on me the entire time. And I had no idea. And I felt so stupid. I think it also depends on if it was a one-time thing or if they carried on for months and months or even years, I think that would mm-hmm. also matter to me. Cause I, when I was younger, I felt so black and white about cheating. I've never cheated on anyone in a relationship up until this point, but I remember I was so black and white, like, how could you do that? How dare you? And then I've gotten older and got have a more nuanced view of relationships. Um, I don't think that if you cheat, you're a bad person, but I would definitely care a lot about like, was it a one night thing? You were in a bad state and something happened or did you lie for months and months on end instead of ending it with the person you were with that you were lying to? To me, that there, yeah. it, there is a difference there. Totally. And I've had people who have read my books and listened to the show who have found out about cheating and they've gone to therapy and worked through it. And claim that now they have a very successful relationship. Do I think it's possible? Yes, of course. I think anything is possible. Is that something that I would do? No. I think that's a very hard line. And yes, of course, what you're saying, like, is there a difference between I fucked up and, you know, had too much to drink one night and made a bad decision versus like, I went and sought this person out and we've been having a full-blown relationship for six months and I've been lying to you vastly different situations. Yes. But myself as an individual, I know that irregardless of what the circumstances were, that would not be something that I would be able to let go and move on from and get over. Yeah. I'm the same way. Like once that happens, I think that's too much. At the center of it is trust. You know, it's not the, to me, at least it's not necessarily the physical act of cheating. It's like now that the, that now the trust has been broken. So now I don't, really believe anything you're saying. Um, and that's to me, like trust and communication is that the core of every relationship. And it's really hard to get that back once that's been broken. I have a question for y'all about this that I just thought about. So we all know, I know who I am. Like, I'm not able to, I've been in this situation and I left. I was like, I can't, we're done. I'm not able to come back from this. But I think we all are old enough that we have friends that probably affairs have happened and they chose to stay together and try to work it out. What are y'all's feelings on that? You know, to each their own. Like if it's something that you're able to do and you think it's healthy for you, then more power to you. But I do think people who choose to stay after an affair or cheating, you have to come to the table with both people wanting to forgive each other and to make active change. Because if you're sitting in a therapy office and one of you is like, well, this person hurt me, so like fix it and make it better, that's never going to become a healthy relationship. It has to be two people that want to be together, want to make it work, want to forgive the other person for whatever's happened and want to actively make changes in their relationship dynamic to make that a priority. Yeah. I think you can't just constantly dredge it back up. Like you have to hit a point where you can forgive and move forward together in whatever that new relationship is. And you can't keep pointing back to that affair because then it's just that unhealthy piece that keeps on recycling. Yeah. Now, um, as you mentioned earlier, right after your marriage ended, um, you quickly fell for Javier and you had a big whirlwind relationship um, right off, basically within a very short while of your life um, blowing up. Um, and by your own admission, Javier, in the book that Javier loved bombed you. And for everyone listening, love bombing is when a potential romantic partner uses excessive flattery over communication of their feelings. 
intense conversation about the future with you, usually very, very early in the relationship. Um, so it's kind of a dating tactic that comes out a lot. Um, can you talk about your experience with this with Javier? Yeah. So I didn't even really realize until God, after the first book had come out and it had been a while. Um, and I, I was scrolling on TikTok, which is where we learn all of our information these yep. days. Uh, and I saw a video about love bombing and was like, oh shit, this is exactly what happened to me. Yeah. Um, now that I know more about it, I think that there are two different versions of being love bombed. I think there's the kind that comes from a narcissist where it's very intentional and they seek someone out, usually an empath that's like, I'm going to get this person into kind of like my clutches and really like do this intentionally. And then I think there's a kind of love bombing that happens subconsciously from the person that's doing it where they have a void or a hole within themselves and they're desperately trying to fill that void to feel better in their own life and when they meet someone that new feeling kind of starts helping fill that void and they're like oh I want more of it I want more of it so it's like let me shower them with attention let's plan trips let's meet my family like you're my girlfriend like very serious very quickly because it may, it's making them feel better. And eventually they'll get to a point where they realize, oh, it's not working anymore because only they can fill that void within themselves through their own healing journeys. And they're like, okay, never mind. And then they want to pull back, usually at the height of a honeymoon stage. That's exactly what I experienced with Javier. And it was one of, not one of, it was the worst heartbreaks I've ever been through. It really was the catalyst to so much of my healing. And I can look back on it and see why it all had to happen the way that it did. But the the devastation level of having that heartbreak happen when you're at the height of a honeymoon stage is so much more catastrophic than, oh, this relationship has run its course for five years and like I got cheated on or we should break up. Like the difference is unreal. Well, I have to imagine it felt even um, so much more painful for you, given the the big 360 of where you were at in your life at that time. Everything was changing. Everything, like literally every single piece of your life had changed within a very short amount of time. And to have that happen in the middle of that, I'm sure made it even worse. Yeah. I mean, it was really complicated with him. Um, you know, when people read the book, they'll come to learn that he lost his brother to suicide um, about a year and a half before we connected um, and was still, you know, trying to struggle with feelings around that. I had thought in the way that he presented himself to me that he had healed and kind of, you know, begun to, to move forward from that. So it was very complicated when he decided he wanted to go on this trip that he invited me on by himself. There was a polarity there that was like half of me was like, and all of my friends and family obviously was like, you're a fucking asshole. You came into my life right after this big cheating and divorce made me fall in love and have this relationship with you, perpetuated all of these big feelings and now are like dumping me two days before you're supposed to be taking me on this trip. The other half was me trying to protect him because I felt so connected to the grief journey that he was on. You know, I've lost countless people in my life. Um, I lost my dad when I was six years old, pretty traumatically. I lost my high school sweetheart when I was 18 in a car accident. And I know the journey of 
grief and what that can do. So part of me wanted to protect him while the other part of me was like, yeah, but you're still this guy that came in and like flipped my world upside down and broke my fucking heart. So it was very confusing to, to move through that dynamic. I bet something that you know, stood out to me a lot. I, I was just, it made me think back on some of the great first dates I've been on where it was like that. I was like, oh my gosh, I'm so excited. I found you. We have so many of these insane things, you know, that connect us. And we had these deep connections. I remember there's one guy I went on a date with. Our first date was 14 hours long. And I remember I texted Laura at three and nothing, no shenanigans. It was like, literally we were having that much fun hanging out, connecting. And we had a lot of things in common. I remember I got home and texted Laura and Laura was like, that's a little bit of a red alert. You know, mm. like you're getting, this is like, you know, a lot of times whenever you hit it off that big, right at the beginning, it doesn't, always pan out. Not always. I think it's always good practice if you find yourself in a situation like this to where things feel like they're moving really fast and like everything just seems to be aligning. It's like, that's great. And I'm so glad that you're feeling this like awesome new connection, but it's never a bad thing to consciously be like, okay, let's like take a beat. Let's just like enjoy each other's company and like not necessarily talk about like our future plans on date number three and like where we're traveling to and when we're going to get married. Like it's always okay to be like, Hey, I have come from relationships that moved way too fast in the past. This is where I'm at. I'm feeling all of these big feelings, but like, I would love if we could just kind of like not super speed through this honeymoon phase. I think also seeing how that person responds to you wanting to take a pause and if they understand and can kind of take a step back and see, or if they continue to push. 100%. Because if they continue to push, that's a big red flag. Now there's a little bit of a running joke, I would say, among uh, especially women who are post-divorce, and it's a little bit of a funny thing, that when someone's coming out of a divorce, they hit their hoe phase. I think there's a word for it. It's called like <laughs> post-divorce hoe phase. Is that, am I saying that right? I think I'm going to be very transparent. I had one, Laura, I think it's okay if I say out loud you did. I mean, it's on the podcast, oh, yeah. so I don't feel like it's a secret. <laughs> You know, it felt like you were having a lot of fun and having some experiences maybe you hadn't had in a long time, Gabrielle, you know, in reading your book. Um, you definitely shared some like spontaneous moments going out there, trying things you've never tried before. Do you, you know, and Laura and I are actually very supportive of these things. We think that's part of healing is going out there, making a mess, trying things. And it's okay if it's not perfect and it doesn't end up being the way everybody thinks it needs to be. But how were those experiences for you? Were they helpful to you? Do you see that positively now that you've evened out, you got remarried? How do you feel about that now? Yes. Um, I am no stranger to the hoe phase. Um, it usually <laughs> hits. It's me after any like big relationship. Um, and I'm not going to say it's not an okay thing to do. I think you just have to be very aware and clear why you're doing it. And for me, um, as I like untangle in both of the books, um, I was using sex as a way to keep people close to me so that I would not feel abandoned because my whole thing was like this fear of abandonment and fear of being by myself. Um, because that was at the core of it, my hoe phases were really fucking unhealthy. 
they're, you know, I can sit here and be like, whatever, like they were all fantastic. And I'm a independent woman and deserve to go like, (laughs) have whatever I want. Yes, like all those things are true. But for me personally, because of the place it was stemming from, it was super unhealthy. So I would urge whoever's listening, if you're going through the uh, post divorce ho phase, you know, go out, have your fun, do what you want to do. Like, as long as it is making you feel good at the end of the day, and you are making decisions from a place of empowerment and not of from a place that needs to be looked at and healed. Uh, that's the yeah. big difference for me. Yeah. And please wear protection. <laughs> yeah. People are fucking crazy. So be, be smart, be safe, you know, all yeah. the things. <laughs> Take care of yourself. All right. So you went from Europe and some wild times and came back and had some more dating adventures and you've gotten remarried, settled down. But thinking back to um, your first marriage, if we want to, if we can go back a little bit, um, you said something really interesting in the book about how really kind of realized you probably were not in love with your first husband. Um, Can you talk a little bit more about that? Yeah. So I actually came to that revelation, having a conversation with Javier Um, who's the guy that broke my heart after. And, you know, he was talking to me about the grief surrounding his brother. And he was like, I'm scared to death. If I love anyone the way that I loved my brother, they're going to die. And I was like, yeah, I totally resonate with, with that fear and that feeling because I loved my dad and he died. And then I loved my high school sweetheart and he died. So then I I married my ex-husband because I wasn't fully in love with him and that subconsciously felt safe. And it was this huge revelation that like kind of blew my brain wide open. And I was like, how have I never realized this before? Like, that's such a massive thing. And obviously it wasn't conscious. I wasn't walking down the aisle going like, he's a great guy, but I'm not really in love with him. So he's safe. Let's go. Um, It was very deep in my subconscious that was obviously from past traumas and past wounds. But having that realization allowed me to start unpacking why I was attracting the certain men I was attracting into my life. So I had never fully healed this abandonment wound and this fear of if I love someone, they die. Because that was literally what was taught to me from the important men that had been in my life. And I was subconsciously then attracting these men that would abandon me so that my subconscious could be like, see, see, told you, you were right. You should be scared. Like what we thought is, is accurate. So I attracted my ex-husband who abandoned me with the cheating and the betrayal, like in one of the, the worst ways possible. And then I attracted Javier who quite literally abandoned me two days before we were getting on a plane. And it wasn't until I went on that Europe trip and figured out how to love myself and how to start healing that fear of abandonment that I was able to attract people into my life that were never going to abandon me because I no longer needed that fear to play out. I think having those kinds of realizations are really when your relationship life starts to take a turn for the better. 
I remember I had a come to Jesus conversation with my therapist a couple years ago, where I was like, why do I, you know, I just keep finding myself in these toxic relationships and these men that are just so mean to me. And she's like, no, 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 no. You are picking these men. You are picking these men so that you are always the good guy. And you never mm-hmm. have to worry about yourself and you never have to work on yourself because they're so terrible. So you can do whatever you want and hide in that. And you don't have to be better and you don't, and you're not going to get hurt because you're not really being, you're not in love with them. You're not showing love to them. And this is a way for you to hide. So actually you need to look at yourself. You are choosing this and you're choosing it because you have a lot of work to do. And that like changed my life having that conversation. I talk about this on my podcast all the time and in interviews, and it's like triggering for some people because they'll be like, what do you mean? It's my fault that I'm getting cheated on time after time. And it's like, no, it's not your fault. You don't deserve that but you have to take accountability. If there is a pattern in your life and that shit has happened more than two times, there is something within you that is attracting that into your life to try and wake your ass up to heal something. Whether that's uh, an old insecurity that you have, an old abandonment wound, like whatever it is, you have to turn your finger around and point it at yourself and be like, what is this lesson trying to repeatedly teach me so that you can fix and rectify that to start attracting different shit in your future. And again, that doesn't mean that you deserve any of the bad shit that's happening to you. Um, But you have to be able to take some accountability for you're attracting those people into your life to teach you some lessons. So learn the lessons so we can attract better people and move forward because it is exhausting when they keep coming at you. You're like, okay, I'm tired of fucking life lessons. Like, give me some... (laughs) give me some better stuff. Like I'm done. (laughs) Yeah. I read a, uh, something once that like has stuck with me too, that the universe, and I do believe this, the universe brings you to the places you need to be to learn the lessons you need to learn. And so if you keep finding yourself in the same spot multiple times, there's something there for you to learn and choose differently in some way. And again, it's not your fault when bad things happen to you, but there may be a lesson to learn. The universe has brought you here for a reason. So really take a look at it and what, what can you do better or learn about yourself? Yeah, 100%. And if you don't have a therapist, it's a great time to get one. (laughs) Yeah. Big advocate of therapy over here, guys. Like even when nothing's wrong, take your ass to therapy. (laughs) If anything else to keep the friends in your life, so they're not having to be a pseudo therapist for you on every turn. (laughs) Yes. Yes. (laughs) All right. So we have a listener question for you from Sophia, who is remarried. She was divorced and is in her second marriage. And she wanted to ask you, what advice do you have to keep the trauma of infidelity from seeping into your second very healthy marriage? Yeah, that's such a good question. Um, Open communication. And that's going to sound like so fucking basic, but I'll I'll dive into it a little bit more. Um, Obviously my husband now knows my past, knows where like my traumas are. um, And the more you can, especially if you're married, like I'm not saying show up on a second date and be like, here's my trauma suitcase. Let me (laughs) unpack it for you. So you can know where, where all my shit is. Um, But like, if you're in a marriage, you know, that's, you've come to the point, you should have had these discussions. So I think the more you can, be open about these are my my traumas and these are what trigger them. If you are with a good, healthy partner, they will respect that and find ways to help ease those triggers for you. For me, it happened very early on in my relationship with my now husband where I would feel the need to like go look through his phone, which made me feel so gross. 
Um, and I never found anything, but it was the feeling that I had that like, I really hated. So I would be open with him about that and be, I would be like, look, it has nothing to do with you. This is like the scars from my first marriage. And it was like, how can we help each other through this together? Because like, I don't want to feel the need to look through your phone. I'm sure you don't want me looking through your phone. And how do we like handle this? So he would start doing things where he, he gave me his password. He was like, anytime you want to go through my phone, you just let me know. It's not a big deal. If we were sitting next to each other and he could kind of like feel my like eyes looking at his phone, he would turn his phone towards me and continue doing whatever he was doing. So that like, if I did want to look, you know, I could, um, and little things like that would help me let go of that triggered feeling. Um, it's odd that it's like actually come up a lot. Weird shit comes up during pregnancy, you guys. And a lot of times <laughs> it's like old past trauma and you're like, wait, I thought I worked through this. What, <laughs> why is this coming up again? Um, and I trust my husband implicitly, but there have been times where I've been like, I need to look through your phone. And he's been like, all right, here you go. <laughs> like won't find shit. But like the act of doing it for whatever reason made my pregnant brain feel like I was safe again. So being transparent and open and honest and taking responsibility for that, you know, not coming at it as like a, I feel like you're doing something shady. Can I check your phone? It's like, I feel horrible that I even have to ask this. This has nothing to do with you. It's past shit coming up. But for the sake of me getting through this triggered moment, can we sit down and like, this is what I need. Um, so communicating about it is the, is the best advice that I could give. That's really some kindness I, too, from your husband. That's really like a nice, I don't think that's something that everybody would do. Cause I think some people would get defense and be like, Oh, I'm not doing anything. Why are you, why are you bringing this here? But what's so kind is that he understood where you had been and what you'd been through and was yeah. working with you on it, which is really, I love that. That's really, that's great that he did that he's, he's amazing. I could sing his praises all day, but my response to that would be like, why are the people that are getting defensive, getting defensive? If you're coming to them saying like, this is my shit, this is my fault. And you're not attacking them. And you're being like, look, I really need some help. I'm struggling. This is what would help me. Why would there be a defensiveness on the other end? Cause that's how I was with my ex-husband. I sat down and was like, look, this is my own shit. I'm, I don't know why I'm tripping out, but like, I just feel the need to look through your phone. Is it okay? If like, I sit here and do that with you, not being snoopy about it. And it was like, well, yeah, but like, I don't know why you need to do that or why you feel that way. And like, you know, I'm not saying that every person that gets defensive is, you know, having a full blown fucking affair, but if you're coming at it and approaching it in the correct way, and you're with a partner that un has the emotional intelligence to understand what triggers are and how to help work through them, why are they going to get defensive? It's You can equate it to we both lost a parent when we were young. So when we don't hear from each other uh, within a certain amount of time, our brains are like spinning in trauma land and like they're, of course, dead on the side of a road and we're never going to see them again. So we have a thing that's like, okay, because I know you have this, I will always, you know, be checking my phone or let you know when I get home for the night or let you know when my plane lands, like that's respecting a trigger. So when you're in a, if you're going to be in a relationship, like everyone has them, you need to know what they are. And if you love the person enough, you're going to respect what those are. So 
something like that and texting someone back and like being communicative is the same thing as the phone trigger. It's just in a different capacity from a different thing that you experienced in a past relationship. And it's just part of that partnership that you have. It sounds like, you know, they're, that person is your partner and understanding how they tick and being in it together rather than this is your shit to deal with. You deal with it, but he understands and meets you where you're at so that you both can feel comfortable and that it doesn't spiral into something else. 100%. Also a huge advocate of couples therapy. Like whenever we have an, we have very our, our, our issue ratio is very small. People are always like, well, if you're happy 60 or 70% of the time, I think that's bullshit. I think you should be happy minimum 90% of the time. If you're in, you know, a, a good relationship. Um, I, I think our, ours is like at a 92, maybe I would say. And like 6% of the, the bad is like, general like co-parenting with his ex and like shit that like no one likes to do anyways and then two percent of us actually like not being that great um and whenever (laughs) we hit that whenever we hit that two percent we're like all right if we can't sit down and work through this the two of us we get in a therapy session and we have a third party that's able to like help us see other perspectives and like get us through that so if there's ever a time you're trying to communicate with your partner and you feel like you're not being heard for whatever reason take your fucking asses to therapy. Like use that as a tool that someone can like sit there and help you through that. It's, it's the same thing that you would do for yourself. You should be doing for your relationship. Um, so there are a lot of divorced people out there that I would say a lot of us have said, you know, I've been really burned by marriage. I don't know about this. I don't know about marriage at all. And they're really hesitant to even consider getting married again. For you, what made you decide to get married again? I was pretty sure after I went through everything that I wasn't going to get married again. I think that you don't really know until, and I'm not going to say until you meet the right person, because I, as people will read in the second book, was back and forth with my my current husband and like kept feeling like there was something missing and like questioning everything. And like, it was not like I met him and was like, Oh, I want to marry this person. It took time for me to heal. It took time for me to get there. And for a very long time, I was like, why would I ever get married again? Like, it's just silly at this point. Like I'll just be in a relationship. If I find someone that I want to be with, I I would say, if you feel like that, don't discount it, but don't count the option out. So much can change in a year, in three years, in five years. Like people will come into your life that make you feel different things, that make you question old beliefs or entertain new ones. And I think that it's the same with kids, you know? Like I, it's not like I met my husband and was like, I'm ready. I have to have kids with this person. Like when we got together, he comes from a, a divorced marriage as well. Um, and he has a daughter from a previous marriage. So he was like, I'm not looking to get married again. He would tell you that when he met me, he was like, I would marry this girl. (laughs) I did not have those, I did not have those feelings. Um, but I eventually got there. He wasn't like, he, he thought he was just having his one kid and it would be done. And like, but that changed over the time that we grew together and like our relationship evolved. Um, now I can't imagine if we like hadn't gotten married and hadn't gone on this journey to have a baby together. Um, So I would say be open to all of the possibilities, but don't feel like you have to make a decision on it right now. Sometimes it takes a while for shit to heal and for perspectives to change. And that is totally okay. 
Oh, that's really helpful. Yeah. I'm in a serious relationship. We've broken up a couple times. And like, it was kind of like what you just described where I've gone through a journey of realizing I was the problem for like 95% of it, you know, and then like learning and growing Isn't and coming it fun? back together. Isn't that <laughs> such a fun realization to have when you're like, it's me. Hi. <laughs> I know. I was like, I was so mad at you. And then I realized I was it. It was me. Yeah. I was the whole problem. He was like, well, I wasn't going to say that out loud. <laughs> He's like, I knew, but I wasn't going to tell you that to your face. <laughs> like, I felt like that was your job to realize that on your own. <laughs> That's great. I love it. <laughs> um, you have said F off. I'm healing, which I love. It kind of mirrors the attitude that Laura and I have of like, make a mess. It's okay. The only way to get through the other side is walk through it. Uh, you even publish a journal with that title. How, what does your healing journey look like? I think when I was on my first or second day on my eat, pray, FML trip, I was writing and it ended up in the book. It's something along, I'm sure I'll butcher it now, but it's something along the lines of when you are going through any type of healing, you have to be willing to meet yourself where you are every single day. And sometimes that will be on a super high high. And sometimes that will be in the shit. And more often than not, that is super fucking uncomfortable to really be like, okay, I'm not going to try and mask how I'm feeling with, you know, alcohol or friends or men or any of the, or work. Um, and I'm really just going to be with myself and meet myself where I am. I think that is the biggest thing you can do when you're on a healing journey is be authentic to yourself and really show up for yourself to decide what you need day by day. And that will be wildly different and learning how to love yourself, which for me was like such an eye roll statement. I was like, okay, everybody's like, you got to learn how to love yourself. Loving yourself is the most important thing. You've got to learn your, learn to love yourself before you can love anyone else. And I was like, okay, cool. I got it. Um, can anyone tell me how to do that? And nobody had like a step-by-step -step guide or a direction manual that was like, this is how to love yourself. And to me, it felt so inauthentic to look in a mirror and be like, I love you, Gabrielle. You're phenomenal. You're wonderful. If you can do that, more power to you. But I felt like such a fool doing that. And I was like, there's got to be something more to this self-love shit. So I was searching for this on this, this journey that I was on. And I didn't find it until I came back from my Europe trip, which is why it's written in the epilogue of Eat, Pray, FML. But I call it the self-love cocktail. And if you are on any kind of healing journey, this is my recommendation of like what will be able to get you started and keep you going throughout it. Um, and you sit down, you write out a list of things that you can give yourself that your soul loves. So things that make you really happy. For me, that list was dancing, writing, creating, going to the gym, eating healthy, meditating, it can be things that make you feel good in the moment, like ordering a large Postmates order of sushi and watching The Bachelorette, or it can be things that you know are going to make you feel better in the long run, like going to the gym and eating healthy. You put this list somewhere where you can see it, on your mirror, in your room, and you commit to giving yourself at least one of these things every single day. And the more you do it, the easier it becomes, then you'll start doing two things a day or, or three things a day. And before you know it, you're loving yourself and feeling better because you are giving your soul the things it loves. When we think about showing love to a partner or a parent or a friend, we do things that make them experience love. 
to show them that we love them. So when you're talking about self-love, why would you not do those things for yourself? It then gave me an active list, like a checklist of things like, this is how I'm going to show up for myself every day. This is how I'm going to love myself every day. And it became something tangible as opposed to this mythical feeling that we're just supposed to feel about ourselves. And for me, when you're on any kind of healing journey, having something tangible that you can do and show up for yourself every day is the key to really getting through it. I think so often we treat other others in our life better than we treat ourselves. Totally. I think also Heather and I are both parents. And so I know from my perspective, I my kids will come first and I will be last on the list often. And it's hard to remind yourself to, you know, be putting yourself in the best place and taking care of yourself helps everybody else around you. And is that core piece to whatever, being a better parent, a better friend, a better partner, whatever that is, but really starting with yourself. Yeah, absolutely. It's important too, to know it's not a switch. You know, I almost, I know that sounds funny, but I think I used to use like getting, upping my self-esteem, you know, divorce really does a number on you. I think I, I know it did for me. And I used to actually, I realized one day I was using healing almost to beat myself up more. Like, why am I still mm-hmm. making these choices? Why am I still doing this to myself? Why am I doing this? Why can't I get it together? So you're almost berating yourself for not making the good, healthy choices. And then one day I had a realization, you know, it's not a switch. It's more like a muscle that you take to the gym and you grow over time. And at a certain point you are strong and able to do it, but it takes time to get into those habits and to be able to do it well and often. And that kind of like took it off a little bit for me. Cause I remember Laura and I were talking one day and I was just like, I feel like, like sometimes we use help being healthy as a way to beat ourselves up more. We use accountability as a way to be mean to ourselves. When I don't really think that's the spirit of what it should be. No, 100%. And you really have to know that healing is not linear. It is a journey. There are days where you're going to be like, I'm fucking killing it. I feel so much better. I'm doing great. And then one day you'll wake up and be like, why do I feel like I took 10 steps back? And both of those are okay. It is part of being human. So yeah, not beating yourself up and giving yourself grace and knowing that like, if you sucked at some stuff today, you can make a better choice and decide to like change it around tomorrow. We always have a choice. It's just about knowing that we can make it. Now you're on the cusp of a really exciting new chapter. Like just from us, from the outside, that's what it feels like. You're about to become a mom. You've made some big changes over the last year, made some big steps. It feels like, you know, start of something really exciting in a new chapter in your life. How do you feel as you're looking ahead? I feel that too. Although I know so much stuff behind the scenes that's going on with like the next no pun intended chapters of you know like where eat pray fml is gonna go and like the different avenues that we're exploring around with that so i feel like it's not that i'm closing that chapter and starting an entirely new one it's like i've turned the page and the journey is continuing um and kind of intermixing in a really beautiful way. But I mean, if you would have told me in 2017, when I got divorced, that you're no longer going to be actively pursuing your career as an actress, instead, you're going to be a two time bestselling author and have a podcast where you're helping people around the world heal. Um, I would have laughed and told you you were crazy. So I can tell you that everything happens for a reason. You just have to really believe it does and follow where the universe is guiding you. Wonderful. 
Well, thank you so much for joining us today, Gabrielle. Um, this was a really fun conversation and we're so excited for you. You have a lot of great things, great things ahead of you and a lot of sleepless nights too. <laughs> thank you. Thank you so much. I appreciate you guys having me. And listeners, um, it was great um, having you join us today as well. It's so great to be back. We have a lot of fun episodes on the way and we can't wait to share them all with you. We'll be challenging our own perspectives with episodes on things like microdosing, polyamory, self-care, reclaiming your sexuality, addiction and relationships, and more. Make sure to follow us wherever you get your podcasts so you don't miss a beat. We'll see you next week. Thank you.